Good morning. Could you give me a cup of water? <clears throat> the, the hymns are beautiful to sing, and we love to sing them, and then you come up to speak, and your throat's dry. Um, the message I have this morning, the burden that I have, is, is not an easy one to share. Um, it's not an easy one to stand up and give to the, the people of God, because the topic is extremely difficult. And I think uh, I was doing pretty well. I wasn't looking at any other writings, and I was just focusing on the Word of God. And the other day, I cracked open a commentary, and the topic that I had taken, uh, the gentleman saying that, um, you know, this is so difficult, it is so impossible to, to speak on this topic. And I said, well, if we looked at the, what we were really bringing to the people of God, and that we were opening his word and being the representative for him, we would feel that way about everything we spoke on, and it would be difficult to stand up here. Um, I have a story to tell you, and I don't see Kathy here, so she's in Sunday school, so it's okay. <clears throat> when we were in college, we were, we were dating, and she was uh, studying sociology. She, at the time, wanted to be a social worker, not knowing all that it entailed. So, she was taking a class on behavioral studies or something or other like that, and after school, we, were, we had carpooled together and we were going to come home. And the minute we got into the car, she looked at me and she said, I just have to apologize for something today. And, you know, that's not a normal thing. So I said, you do? What, what is it that you have to apologize for? And she said that she was watching a, a video on what it means to be a good listener and how they are supposed to listen to people, and how they are supposed to understand and put themselves in the place of the person that is speaking to them. And she's like, I realize I suck at listening, and I have to apologize. I'm a terrible listener. And she said, I've gone up my, my whole life thinking I was this good listener, and now all of a sudden after this class realizing what it means to be a good listener, I realize I'm not. And it was the same situation I found myself I was in when I went to the program in uh, Louisiana. This whole time you think you're making progress, you think you're growing, you think that um, you are loving the brethren, that you are loving the lost, and you come to realize what that love means, and you realize that you haven't been doing it at all. And that was something I came to terms with while I was there, and the biggest thing that I learned, and I, I shared that with, with Betty Markley one day when she asked me what I had learned. I said, well, I learned a lot, but it's not what you would probably think. Um, something that you would learn there. And so what I have for us today is the idea of, of love, love for one another in particular, love of the people of God in a time when uh, the, the Bible studies and the prayer meetings and the things are growing smaller and smaller and less and less people are showing up. In the beginning, a couple of us had associated to, well, they're busy, they have commitments, they have other things, and then it gets to, well, maybe they're not interested in going through this particular book in the Word of God, or they have other things that they're studying or preparing for. And then it gets to the point where it's like, or maybe they just don't really like us all that much. You know, it's a, it's a hard thing to, to get to the final point of, maybe they just don't enjoy being with us, the people of God. Maybe that's just something that doesn't have any excitement for them. And the idea that all the things that we've been given, all the blessings that we have, were given for a specific purpose, and that was to build one another up. 
and be the manifestation of God's love in the world. And something that I think um, we're greatly lacking in. We talk about the love that we should have for the lost. And it is, at times, far easier to love the lost, a person or thing that we don't really know and understand and don't have to deal with on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. But it is another thing to love the people of God that we deal with all the time. And so, if you could open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. Now, the letter to the Corinthians, um, when I was first saved, we were going through at the Wednesday night Bible study. And... I didn't know a thing at the time, so it was really hard for me to understand. Now I wish we could go through it again, that I've gone through it myself. But I had to go through all this Old Testament stories to figure out what unleavened bread, what the Passover, what all these pictures were. But the idea that Paul is writing to the Corinthians, this letter is basically a letter of correction. He's correcting a lot of problems that the Corinthian church had. The biggest problem that they had was was arrogance, was pride. They were very proud in the the gift of tongues that they had. They were very proud in the worship that they were doing. And they had no care for one another. And so from chapters 8 to about chapter 15, Paul is dealing with the Corinthian church as a specific being a member to other members from 8.1 to 11.1 and talking about Christian liberty and what that means and what that should look like and that it should be giving of yourself for the sake of the other. So relation one to another. And from chapter 11 to chapter 15, he's talking about a member in relation to the local body as a whole. And it's funny because 1 Corinthians 13 is often a passage quoted at a, at a wedding. And it's often parenthetical. It's just, okay, this is love. It's beautiful. And the world knows it as being beautiful. But it's given in the context of this is how we should be interacting with one another. In verse 11, he's talking, or in chapter 11, he's talking about the Lord's Supper, the order that it should be in. In 12, he's talking about the use of spiritual gifts, how we are to use them, and he gives us the picture of the body, not all our eyes, not all our hands. We all have a specific purpose why we are here to help the body, to build up the body. That's why we're here. And in 1 Corinthians 13, Beyond all these gifts, beyond all these things that we're doing, I'll read the last verse of chapter 12. It says, And I show you a still more excellent way. And I'm reading from the New American Standard. Chapter 13, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. 
For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. It is a beautiful passage. It's undeniably beautiful. And this is what people should see when we come together. This amazing beauty. Do you realize, when I was meditating on this, it it struck me. We are the only beings in this world capable of loving like God. We're, We're the only beings capable of loving like God. He has given us His Spirit. He has shown us what love is. And what are we doing with that capability? Why are we here? Why, why, why Claremont Bible Chapel? You can remember the Lord at home with your own family. You can study the Word and probably get more out of it than any one of us could could give you. But God has given us an order and He has given us a pattern. And the Lord desires us to be together. And we're going to look at why this morning. Because it really doesn't make sense. If we have God with us, what do we need each other for? In the first three verses, Paul's speaking about the preeminence of love. This idea here that the eloquence, the beauty of tongues, the gift of prophecy, knowing all knowledge, all faith, so as to remove mountains, giving all your possessions to the poor, giving your body to be burned. We see that you can give without love. It's, it's here. You can give all your possessions away. You can, you can give yourself over and in the name of the Lord to be burned. You you can do all that. And it can all be done without love. And it can all profit you absolutely nothing. And I think that's the main point, what we're looking at. What are we doing and how is it profiting us? Is it profiting us? Because God's will in our lives is for things to be done to profit us, to bless us, to move forward. Because if He can bless us, that means His will is being done. And if His will is being done... It's a beautiful thing. There's nothing we can do that he'll love us more. Love is a choice that he made before the foundation of the world that he would send his son to die for us. He made that choice. He loves us. There's there's no going back. It's a beautiful thing that we rejoice in, the love of God that was shown to us and that he would send his son to die for us. But this idea of being a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal I'm sure we all can appreciate a nice melody, a nice symphony going together. But if somebody's just going on with that gong or that cymbal, just whenever they want to their own thing, no consideration of others, but they're just proud that they got the big boom, then that just takes away everything, ruins it all. All of a sudden, everything that was composed is now meaningless. The gift of prophecy and knowing all mysteries and all knowledge. This is the one realization that I had. 
it came to the point where you ask yourself the honest question, am I growing? Am I growing in faith and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? And what does that mean? To what purpose? And I knew more. I knew more of the Bible then than I did before. I mean, that was easy. But I wasn't growing. I was no more like the Lord now than I was six months ago. And that's a humbling thought to spend all that time to, to think you've been labor, laboring on, you've been persevering, you've been doing all these things, and then to be struck with the realization there's no growth, nothing's changed. The idea of giving all possessions to feed the poor, surrendering your body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. And that word for nothing right there really means nothing. Nothing. So this is the picture of all the things that we can trick ourselves, deceive ourselves into thinking that this is being accomplished, but if it's not being done in love, there's no profit in it. The idea of what it is to the, the local brothers and sisters, remember the context is how we are building up the local body. Verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. This is a, a big problem that the Corinthian church had. They were impatient. They weren't waiting on one another to break bread. Um, they were very arrogant in the way they were going about things. It didn't matter if nobody in the whole building could understand the language I was speaking, I was going to get up and do it anyway. We see that there's, that's not love. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. It's not rude. Love is not rude. We are not to be rude to one another. Does not seek its own. What a picture of the Lord. He came down for us. He wasn't seeking His own. He came down for the Father. We are to be the image of Christ. We should not seek our own. We should seek building up one another. You know, people are hurting. There's no doubt. And when they see the, the struggles of true believers, the lost look at that and think, well, why would I want to do that? They seem the most miserable people. What can we do to, to build one another up, to not seek our own? It's not provoked. This is the one I probably struggle with the most. I'll get angry. Kathy will be, you know, doing something, doing what she does. And Kathy is very, very persistent. If, if she, she gives you something she'd like done, that means she'd like it done right this minute. Not, not in a little bit, just, you know, hey, could you take out the trash? Like now. Not like, you know. I said, well, I'll get to it. I, I will take the trash out. The trash will, will find its way outside. And she's like, well, I mean now. Like, you know, can you take it out now? It's full now. And this will go on, and I'll be doing something else. And she'll come and tell me again, can you take out the trash? And I say, okay, I heard, I heard you the first time when you said, and you asked me, and I told you I would. I said, and I will. The trash will, will get outside. Okay? Okay. And it's the idea, is, and, I, and I tell her, I said, you know it's going to frustrate me when you keep telling me. Why do you, why do you frustrate me? Why do you irritate me like that? And it's that idea of, of is not provoked. I should never get to that point. 
there should be no end to what she could come and tell me over and over and over again. I should not be irritated. I should just do what she asked me to do. Not seek my own. Take the time away. Go out and take out the trash. It's not that big a deal. It doesn't take that long. Just get up and do it. And I tell myself this, and I think, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but it shouldn't be that way. I should just get up and take out the trash. If somebody from here calls and, and needs something, um, David called the other day. His, his buddy, his partner was, was moving, and he needed to be out of the house that evening. And uh, he sent out a text. Hey, can anybody help come move this guy? And we, we need just a, a help for maybe an hour or two. So I said, yeah, I'll come. I know what it's like to, to have to be out of the house and uh, to have to move that day after 12 hours of work. But that's what it should be like. We should be able to call one another. I need help with this. Okay. Doesn't matter what I'm doing. So that idea of not being provoked, not being irritated, that's going to come up again later, actually, does not take into account a wrong suffered. That's not an easy one either. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. We've all been wronged before. That's as, as true as anything else. We've all been wronged. But it's another thing not to take those things into account. We don't have to remember those things. Our Father in Heaven does not remember our sins. We don't have to remember the wrongs that were done to us. Stop it. We don't have to. You can let it go. It's okay. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. All of this does not mean we ignore sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul has an issue with the church at Corinth. And it was that they were proud about the sin in the camp. They were proud that this man had his father's wife. And they were, it had puffed them up. And Paul said, do you not judge the ones that are within? I'm not telling you to judge the world. The world is the world and we are in the world. We're going to get past that. That's not the issue. They're going to be in sin. They're going to do all sorts of wrong. We're not talking about that. We don't judge them. But we do judge those that are inside and this so-called brother that is inside doing these things, you cast him out. You send him out. That is not to be inside. So he's not saying that we just ignore sin. That is not what, what Paul is, is getting to the point. We do not rejoice in unrighteousness. But we rejoice with the truth. And how can we rejoice with the truth unless we're seeking the truth and we know what the truth is. And we encourage one another to live in the truth, which is Christ. Bears all things. Love bears all things. And the idea of bear there is actually to cover. It covers all things. Now, if somebody is living in sin and is unrepentant, we are to cast them out. But if somebody is struggling, and we are to bear with them. It's a fine line. But if somebody is struggling and, and desires help and knows that they're in the wrong and knows they want to do something, we bear with them. That's what we're called to do. The Lord bared with His disciples. The night when He was there in the upper room and He was breaking the bread and passing it from hand to hand, He knew they were all going to leave. In a few moments, they were all going to scatter. He was going to be left alone. 
He took off his garments and he washed their feet. Judas, the, the man that was going to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. This is the picture we have. We are to bear with people. We are to humble ourselves for one another that we may exalt them. And in doing so, we may exalt our Lord Jesus Christ because we are acting the way He would desire us to act. Believes all things. I honestly don't know what that means. It believes all things. But I do know what it's like for somebody to give an account of something and in my mind I've already decided that I don't believe it. That I don't believe what they're telling me. Not knowing the truth one way or the other, but I've already made up my mind. Hopes all things. And I think that goes hand in hand. Why don't, why instead of, instead of just believing this to be true, what this brother or sister is telling me, the situation they're going through, why do I choose not to believe it? Instead of hoping for the better. Instead of hoping that it's true. Why? So that I may be there to help them along their way. That I may be there to encourage in whatever way I can. Endures all things. And that's not easy. <laughs> and the idea there of endure is to endure bravely, not meekly. We are not to be cowardly and we are to be strong for one another. And when somebody has an issue of sin or has an issue with things in their own life, work, simple things, whatever it is, we are to bear with them, we are to believe, we are to hope that it's for the best, and we are to endure with them as the Lord endures with us. Enduring the cross, despising the shame, seeing the joy that was set before Him. He is the one we remember. He is the one we have come to worship this morning. Was our worship pleasing to Him? Is our interaction with one another something that He looks down and is just joyful over? Love never fails. This is why we pursue love. Because love never fails. We, we have no worry. If we are acting in love, We'll have victory. It never fails. If there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. We're doing all these things, learning all these things, practicing in a certain way. Because we believe the Word of God teaches these things. And that's what we pursue. We pursue to worship in spirit and in truth. We seek to do things in a way that is pleasing and acceptable to the Word of God. And that's our standard. That's what we go by. That is our compass. And the Spirit of God leads each one of us and as an assembly to do this. But all those things are going to be done away with one day. And love will remain. Verse 11, he says, When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. I don't know how to say this, but I think it's time to grow up. So much today you hear the older people talking about the younger people, and it's like, are they just going to stay kids forever? Are they just going to keep going how they're going? They go from one thing to school to a secondary school to another school, and then they're going to do an internship, and by the time they're 40, then they can start their career. And think about maybe getting married. 
when are you a man now? I have no idea the answer to that question. Um, my dad used to tell me, you know, you know how to be a little boy. My job is to teach you to be a man. I don't need to teach you how to be a boy. You already know how to be a boy. That's what the Lord desires, to be a man, not to be swayed by any wind of doctrine. The doctrine's going to come, it's going to go. We're going to agree on certain things. We're going to disagree on certain things. Prophecy, the tribulation, the order of events. We're, gonna have, we're probably going to have disagreements. But if we love one another, the love will remain. And the truth will will out. In the end, we'll know what was right, what was wrong. But in the end, we hope to love one another and have that. It says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is why we are to pursue these things. When we come to the local meeting, what attitude do we come with? Are we coming with the attitude is what am I going to get or what am I going to give? The Lord came to give. He emptied himself and came and died upon the cross that he may give life and life eternal, knowing the Father, being reconciled unto him. All these things he came, he gave. What did he get? Well, he wasn't really coming to get. That's not the point. There was a Scottish missionary in Angola I read this story the other day in World War II, and the supplies had stopped coming in. And he had received a letter from the embassy that they would um, come and pick him up and that he could go home and, and get out of Africa. So it was him, his wife, and he had a, a young baby with him. And he prayed with his wife, and they determined the Spirit of God was telling them to stay. So they decided to stay. And after they decided to stay, another missionary that was leaving sent them two cattle. Now they had milk. Now if worse came to worse, they could slaughter one and have food. So they thought, this is of the Lord. The Lord is encouraging us to stay. So they had this cattle for a while. But things were getting worse. Their supplies were completely stopped. They had nothing coming in. And the, the baby was getting milk, and that was good. But then all of a sudden, the famine came, dry, no rain dry brush, and the local village kids lit the field on fire, and it killed both the cattle. So then what do they do? So then they start selling clothes, start selling everything they have so that they could get food for their kid and for themselves. And then a trader that they had known in the past came alongside and had a big chest of, of money and said, take whatever you need. You can pay me back when, when you get the money. And he wanted to take it, but he knew it wasn't right. We're not to owe anyone, he said. So painfully, he walked out of the room and he went back home fearing that he had done the wrong thing, that he had been too proud and, you know, he had his, his wife and his child and was he considering them. But when he got home, his wife reassured him that that's, that's the right thing to do. And so he was, he was comforted. A couple of days later, they were down to, she had her last dress and he had his last pair of clothes. And they decided to go out for a walk. They both had a fever and needed to get outside. And they went for the walk. And they see two visitors coming. And all of a sudden they became really aware of how they looked. And became very 
you know, ashamed, nervous, and they wanted to turn back, but they couldn't. They had already made eye contact, so it was that awkward back and forth. So they went up and they, they greeted these two people and they invited them back to their, their home. And when he invited them back, he realized, I have nothing to offer these people but maybe like a cup of water. That's, that's all I have to give these people. And so they get back to the home and he just comes out with it like, we have nothing here. <laughs> I invited you back, but all I have to offer you is, is a cup of water. And the man and the woman, the visitors that came said, oh, we came to give, not to get. They had supplies for them, tin food, clothes, money. They had found a way. The, the, the local assembly that was supporting them had sent them. This was the purpose, to give. They didn't come to get. But you see, even, even the missionary that had nothing, nothing, in his mind was, I have nothing to give these people. Not, oh good, you've come to give me stuff. I've come, you know, you've come so I can get. In his mind it was, I have nothing to give you. What attitude do we come with when we think of getting together with one another? I tell you, I'm honest, I don't wake up every day thinking, what could I do to, to bless and to give the brothers and sisters at Claremont Bible Chapel? I don't think I've ever woken up with that heart. But why don't I? That's what we're called to do. I'm just going to read a passage from 1 John 4, going along the idea of being the only people in this world capable of loving like God. <clears throat> 1 John 4, 7 reads, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. This idea here, again, why, why do we meet together? Why did God have this vision of a local church? Why is this his pattern? Because believe it or not, we're the only ones capable of loving one another the way God loves us. And we are to be the manifestation of that in this world. The Lord is not here physically. When he was here, he was the manifestation of God. And that, look at how he loved. How he came to die on the cross. How he came to die for sinners. We are the manifestation of that love today. How we love one another. And maybe people aren't coming to know the Lord because we're not fulfilling the calling that we were called by, to love one another. Verse 10 reads, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God sent His Son. God gave. Again, love gives. It's not that we love God and He came to return it. God loved us and made a choice that He was going to give us His Son in our place so that we might live through Him, so that we may partake in His Spirit, that we might be that manifestation of love in this world. We have a wonderful, beautiful purpose to represent God in heaven, a God that is love. 
It says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this, that, by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And if you cannot love the people of God, based on these verses, it says you better ask yourself a question. If you just cannot love the people of God, are we abiding in the Father? Do we have His Spirit? Why aren't we able? These are the questions that come into my mind when I read things like this. Verse 14, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. When you break it down like this, it just seems like, yeah, just love one another. Just do it. Love. And it, it's, it doesn't come that easy. That's why we have the correction in 1 Corinthians 13 and the encouragement of what love looks like. Love is something um, like God. It, it's impossible to just define. We cannot simply define what God is. We can't not define what, what love is. This is what it is. But we can display those things. I'll give you an example. When I got married, the day of the wedding, you had all those things, all those emotions running through you, you were getting to a certain point in time, and you had been longing for the day to come, and you wonder why in the world you'd planned such a long engagement. But anyway, I'm standing there at the end of the, the walk aisle, I guess. All the people that I know are there, but I'm looking for one person. It was nice that everybody was there. Don't get me wrong, it was, it was very nice, you know, but I wasn't really there for you. <laughs> I was there to meet someone else. I guess Gary had to be there. Yeah. <laughs> and so this idea of I'm, I'm there, I'm waiting with anticipation, and I'm calm, I'm okay, you know, I'm, nothing going on, and I used to wonder how guys got choked up. You're just waiting. You're gonna get married. Like, what's the? Why are you like, like tears coming to the eyes, eyes getting wide? Like, what's the deal, man? You know. But in that moment, I, I didn't understand. I could not comprehend what that person was going through because I'd never gone through it before. And I know if I went and asked that guy what it's like, he couldn't tell me. He couldn't define for me what he was going through. But as I was standing up there and the music's playing, everybody stands up. And she comes around the corner and I finally see her. All of a sudden my eyes start watering. And I start like choking. And like I'm like, what's wrong? You know, but it's, it's this flood of emotions that comes over you and you had no idea that it was going to happen. You had no idea it was there. And I, I cannot explain or define what that was. But if anybody else has gone through that, you know what I'm talking about. You know what that is. And so when we have this idea of loving one another, 
not taking into account a wrong suffered, not being provoked, being patient, being kind, not being arrogant, bearing with them, believing them, hoping for them, enduring with them, all these things. I pray that we all have an experience of going through something like that. And take that experience and multiply it. Make it grow. Build something that's going to live forever. Build something that's going to endure. Love never fails. Love is going to abide. Love is going to remain forever. What are we pursuing? Why are we here? Why are we gathering together? Why Claremont Bible Chapel? Brigades, Awanas, Sunday School, TNT, all these things that, that we have outreach for the, for the lost in this area. Those are all important. But loving one another, loving the brethren. If I loved the way it speaks of in here, and we all loved one another, we would have a hundred people helping out at Awanas. We would have a hundred people helping out at Brigades. Not because we have this love and we want to see all these lost people that irritate us and annoy us and drive us crazy, but because we love being with the people of God. We'd be going through the Word all the time. We'd be eating together. We'd be fellowshipping together. And it would be effortless. This idea, by this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. That's pretty strong words for John. <laughs> I think. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. This is not a suggestion. This is a commandment from the Lord. We are to love one another. Not because we are afraid of punishment. I am not afraid of being punished from God. The Lord took my punishment on Calvary. I love him because he first loved me. We're not talking about being afraid of punishment. We are commanded to love so that we may show forth the manifestation of God in this world. We're the only ones that can. So when those thoughts come of different things, meeting with the brethren, meeting with one another, struggles that you know of people in people's lives, The Lord has brought them up for a purpose. And that purpose is to love them, to bear with them, to believe them, to hope for them, and to endure with them. That's what we are to do. Like I say, it's easy for us to focus that love to the lost and ignore one another and, and, and feel good about we're getting the gospel out. I mean, I, I'm, I may be able to be corrected, and I have no problem being corrected, but... I don't necessarily see any church being reprimanded because the gospel wasn't going out. 
I don't see that as ever being really the issue that Paul's talking about. Paul's always talking about humbling yourselves, loving one another, building one another up. The false doctrine that's come in, the detriment that it's doing to the brothers and sisters, the pain that people are going through. That's what we are to focus on. One another. May we love one another. And when we come together to worship the Lord, He'll already be pleased. He'll already be happy. Because that was His desire, that we would be one, as Him and the Father are one. Do we want to do what is pleasing to the Lord? Do we want to invest in things that will last for all eternity? All the knowledge, all these things, I could... You know, I would be the worst one to get up here and explain anything to you because I probably know the least in here. But I want to do what the Lord wants me to do, whatever that is. And right now, it's love one another. So if anybody needs anything, you got a good shot today. <laughs> Let me tell you. So we'll see if uh, the Spirit of God works that quickly. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the opportunity to be a part of this local assembly. Father, to know such brothers and sisters. Father, we are thankful for the opportunity we had to worship your Son. Father, we love Him because He first loved us. And we love you, Father, because you first loved us. And you sent your Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Father, we see that Our Lord and Savior emptied himself and made himself lower than the angels. And we see him in the upper room and he takes off his clothes and puts on the servant's clothes and washes the disciples' feet, emptying himself again. Father, may we continue to seek and to find opportunities to empty ourselves, to humble ourselves, to love one another, that we may be that perfect manifestation of your love in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.